Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Philippians chapter number one. Good to have some guests here for the first time. And uh, we're glad to welcome you to the service. Met a few before the service began. Uh, we're in a new series, relatively new series. Sir, this is sermon number four in the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to a church that was very dear to him in Philippi. And so we're in Philippians chapter number one. Now, you might have noticed some lights kind of flickering. Brother Jude let us know, uh, alerted me to that before the service began. So we, we've not gone to strobe lights, just in case you're wondering. We're still going to use hymnals. We're not going to go to screen. So anyways, uh, so now, now you're probably going to notice maybe more than you were. I don't know. But just in case you have noticed that, we're aware of it. It's related to the heat. Um, and so anyways, uh, that's just what it is. All right, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, let's begin in uh, verse number 12. That'll help us as we flow into our passage here tonight, which begins in verse number 18. Philippians 1, verse number 12, Paul says, Now I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ, he's talking about his change, the fact that he was in Roman imprisonment, my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And so now uh, Paul's going to give his personal view on that. And we'll review a little bit as we get into it here tonight. Just make sure everybody's understanding the circumstances that he's describing. But he says, what then? Verse 18, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense, being in relationship to those that preach Christ of envy and strife, uh, or in truth, here's how he saw it. Christ is preached. That's the bottom line. Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Perhaps one of the most well-known verses uh, that have been written by Paul would be that verse along with this one. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. All right, I don't know of another verse that really in, in a short, in, in such a short amount of um, space, would just capture Paul's outlook on life, which by the way, ought to be ours. For to me to live is Christ and to die 
is gain. It's gain. So um, I wrestled with the title of the message. Uh, it could be entitled this, Paul speaking, the way I see it. The way you ever use that terminology? Um, the way I see it, and, you, and then you, you give how you see it. The way I see it. Um, the central focus of your life. What is the central focus of your life? May God bless the reading of, your, of his word. And as you're seated, I'm going to get right to it here tonight. The central focus of your life. <clears throat> One individual said, uh, there are too many Christians hunting for things that are in Christ. There are too many Christians hunting for things that are in Christ. Now you have to stop and think about what the individual's saying, but it's, it's really quite a statement. There are too many Christians hunting for things that are actually already in Christ. It's already there. Uh, another individual said this, Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. Christ sends none away empty, but those that are full of themselves. One of my uh, favorite poems, I wish I could quote it. I can't do that, but I can read it. It's called, I Met the Master Face to Face. My uncle would give his uh, salvation testimony every Thursday night in revival, whether under a tent or in a church building. And then he would quite often quote this, this uh, poem, I Met the Master Face to Face. And uh, Lori Klein wrote the poem and she said this, I'd walk life's way with an easy tread, had followed where comforts and pleasures led until one day in a quiet place, I met the master face to face. With station and rank and wealth for my goal, much thought for my body, but none for my soul. I had entered to win in life's mad race when I met the master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes full of sorrow were fixed on me. And I faltered and fell at his feet that day while my castles melted and vanished away. Melted and vanished and in their place naught else did I see but the master's face. And I cried aloud, oh, make me meek to follow the steps of thy wounded feet. Listen to this. My thought is now for the souls of men. I've lost my life to find it again. Ere since that day in a quiet place, I met the master face to face. I think about that day that Paul met the master face to face. And listen, friend, that changed his life forever. On that Damascus road as he was uh, going and the Lord Jesus appeared unto him as the risen Savior that he, Paul, had been persecuting by persecuting the Lord's churches. But from that day, the Lord Jesus Christ became the central focus of Paul's life. Uh, Robert Gramacki said this, Paul's thoughts, feelings, and actions were fixed on Christ and controlled by him, the Savior was both the center and the circumference of his daily existence. 
Paul uh, said uh, the idea there is that Christ was the center of his very life. And not just the center, but the whole circumference. I like that. The center and the circumference of his daily life. Let me ask you tonight, what's yours? What's your central focus? You know, all of us have a focus and we tend to magnify whatever our focus might be. And Paul says, I want to magnify Christ. In, uh, in verses uh, 12 through 17, as we looked at them, we, we saw that Paul um, had this focus. Regardless of what have, has happened in my life, all of this has happened that the gospel might go further. That was, the, that was the key factor that he was looking for, is that the gospel would go further. And you might, you might know this, but Paul was falsely, falsely accused in Jerusalem. A riot took place, two years of imprisonment in Caesarea, trials, threatened by, in his life, a trip to Rome, shipwreck, snake bit, two years of Roman imprisonment. I mean, all kinds of things happened to Paul, but here's what he said. I'm just glad the gospel's going further. That's quite a focus. What seemed to be a great hindrance turned out to be great progress for the gospel. Roman soldiers that probably never would have heard the gospel heard the gospel because they were chained to a preacher that wouldn't stop talking about him, right? Members of the church in Rome were encouraged to share the gospel. Think about this. I didn't mention it last time as we came through this section, but the fact that we have four of Paul's letters, which are known as the prison epistles, uh, aren't you glad that we have Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and, and Philemon? Aren't you thankful for that? And then mercy, something good came out of his difficult circumstance. So if we have the mindset like Paul did, then regardless of what's going on, it can be used of God for the furtherance of the gospel. And so Paul was focused on that. He wasn't in a self-preservation mode. Um, I mentioned this quote last week, just do a little bit of review here before we get into our message tonight. God sometimes uses strange tools, Warren Wiersbe said, to help us pioneer or get the gospel further. The same God who used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitchers, and David's sling used Paul's chains. So what are your chains? Maybe something that's come your way that you weren't anticipating. I think about Ron Hamilton. Many of you know uh, Ron Hamilton. Now, you may not know that name, but you probably know this name, Patch the Pirate. And uh, as he lost his eyesight in one eye, um, then he took a bad situation and allowed God to use it for good. And how many kids have wore the patch hat because of Patch the Pirate? It's awesome. I love it. Well, Paul had the focus that his suffering was for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, what, what you see in verses 13 through number 17 is this, is that when Paul was incarcerated in, in Rome, and I believe it to be the Roman imprisonment, that there were two, there were these responses, many were encouraged to preach the gospel. Some, Paul said, did that because they, they well, they love the Lord, but they also love Paul. Others love themselves and they love the Lord. I mean, it, Paul's not saying here that they were preaching a false gospel. They were actually preaching the gospel uh, because Paul would not rejoice if they were preaching a false gospel. It would be more like the book of Galatians 
if they were preaching another gospel that had works mixed in. But evidently, what these individuals were preaching was not a false gospel, but rather was indeed the gospel which says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and there's only one way to be right with God, and that is on the basis of grace through faith, apart from any works that anybody could do. So they, they had the right message. They, they preached the gospel. They evidently loved the Lord, and they evidently loved the gospel. But here was the problem. They also loved themselves. And they, they were envious of Paul and some of the attention that was coming to Paul. Um, hey, listen, folks, we're, we're all made of the same stuff. And, and sometimes, you know, even in the work of the Lord, we can, we can uh, get into envy and strife and contention. And, and so that's what they were into. And they took advantage of the situation with Paul being incarcerated to try to gain some ground on Paul. They thought, all right. He's locked up, so now maybe we can win some of their affection back because uh, Paul was a newcomer there to Rome and they had been there you know, for a longer amount of time. And so when Paul came in, it wasn't his intent to run a popularity campaign. No way, Paul wasn't into that because Paul's focus was rather on Christ and Christ being known, not on his name being known. That was his focus. But some of them there were into how big their ministry was. Well, that can be a real danger for us. Now, we preached that last time, and I'm not going to take our time today, but just a good reminder to us, hey, we, we need to have our focus in the right place. It's not what church is the biggest or what Sunday school class is the largest or what bus brings the most kids, but, but our focus ought to be this. Let's get Christ and the gospel out. And, and if another church or another class or another bus is running more than you, then rejoice because Christ is being known. Are you following what I'm saying here? And don't get envious and think, well, they must be going liberal. That's why they're growing so much. No, we don't have to, to go that route. Uh, what we can do is just this. Do what Paul did. Just rejoice that the gospel is getting out. You say, you know, that, that really took quite a bit of character there and quite a focus because, you know, he knew that they were doing that of envy and strife and trying to get ahead of him. But, but at the end of the day, here's what, Paul, here's what Paul focused on. There's a lot of people that don't know Christ and I desperately want them to know him. So even if the motive is wrong, I'm going to rejoice that Christ is preached. Christ is preached. And so that was his focus in verses uh, 12 through verse number 17. So that brings us to our text where we begin to really pick up on what drove Paul in the ministry, which by the way, as we have vacation, vacation Bible school or we have Sunday school classes or we just have the weekly work of the work of the gospel, this ought to be our focus as well, okay? Paul says this, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now, there's some question about what he's saying here. Is he talking about his salvation in the sense of, uh, well, we know he's not talking about his salvation like when he came to Christ. That, that's not his focus at this point. Uh, is he talking about his ultimate salvation like when He's going to be martyred and finally free from this world. That could be his focus. All right, let me, let me show you uh, as it goes on in verse number 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, verse 22, uh, he's talking about, you know, going on in life. Verse 23, I'm in a straight betwixt the two. We're going to come to that later. But he says, I have a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh here is more needful for you. In other words, he's saying, I've got a burning desire 
to want to be in his presence. But I also want to be here. Any other believers able to relate with that? I want to be in his presence, but at the same time, I don't think my work here is done yet. And so Paul was between the two. So it could be that Paul is saying, look, I don't know exactly how this is going to go. I don't know if as I come and I stand before Nero, if, if I'm going to be sentenced to death. Now, I, I happen to believe as you look at verse number, uh, verse number uh, 25, he says, in having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and, uh, furtherance and joy of faith. I believe Paul had the inclination, he's probably going to go free, all right, this time. Now, the next time, no. But this time, he's thinking, I'm probably going to go free. And so it may be that what he has in mind in verse 19, when he says, my salvation would be my deliverance, my release, my release from Roman uh, imprisonment. So I... I can't be too dogmatic there because really both are in the text, all right? But notice what is very clear here. He says, I know this shall turn to my salvation through, notice how important this is to the missionary, through your prayer. Uh, hey, church, I might remind us tonight, we need to be praying for our missionaries because Paul here is saying, I, I don't know exactly how things are gonna go, but here's what I do know. I know you're praying for me. I know you're praying and, and so Paul is saying, I'm trusting that. I'm confident that God is going to take care of this need. I know that he's going to. Uh, he says that through your, your prayer and, notice this, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. He's, he's saying, I, I, know that, I know that I don't have to be worried about this because I know that you're praying for me, you care about me, but also know this, I know that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in my life. And when the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life, regardless of what your circumstances are, you can have peace, knowing that even though things are going poorly, you know that he's still in control. And so the Spirit of God was at work in Paul's life, according to verse number 19, the supply of the Spirit, what a gift that God has given us in his Holy Spirit to help us in times when you have no idea how things are going to go. The Spirit of God brings peace and rest even in those circumstances. All right. So Paul is saying, I know that you're praying for me. I have had some interaction with Brother Ray Hoover. God willing, our offering this year would go. They're doing a, a big project. He, sent, um, he has sent picture after picture along the way of literally these men of the churches there in Ethiopia digging down into the, into the dirt and, and basically pouring the concrete and doing all the work, what normally would be done a lot with machines they're doing by hand. Can you imagine that? And now they're going up with the beams and he knows that God's going to supply the need. Well, I'm glad we get to be a part of that. And he knows, hey, I, I thank the Lord that Southwest Baptist Church is praying for us. Our missionaries count on that. And it really makes a difference when you know that somebody's praying for you. Paul says, I, I, I know everything's going to be all right because I know you've been praying for me. And I know the Spirit of God is at work in my life. But here is Paul's focus, verse number 20. According to my earnest expectation... What is that? Well, let me, let me illustrate it here. Earnest expectation is this, sitting on the edge of your seat and waiting to see what's going to happen next. Okay. It's when, it's when the game is in the final inning and it's the bottom of the ninth and the bases are loaded. Okay. And you're, if you're at all a baseball fan, you're on the edge of your seat thinking, oh man, come on, let's see something happen. If it's your team, <laughs> right? That earnest expectation. Let's see what's going to happen here. Paul is saying, I, I want to see what's going to happen here. According to my earnest expectation and hope. 
Now the word hope there has this idea, confident assurance. I mean, all this is going on, the imprisonment, these individuals, that, I mean, that's the past. I mean, all the things that have happened to Paul, all the things that are going on right now, what people are saying, what people are doing, his present circumstances, watch this, his uncertain future. He's not clear as to how things are going to turn out with, with Nero and Rome and all that's going on. So, I mean, here's, here's a candidate for a nervous breakdown. With his past, his present, and his future. I mean, honestly, this man had reason, humanly speaking, to be worried, fretful, fearful, and overly alarmed. And yet here's what we say. I'm not worried about this. I know it's going to be okay. God's people are praying. The Spirit of God is at work. I've got an earnest expectation and hope. I've got this settled assurance in my soul. Are you saying that he knew everything was going to go okay? No, he didn't know. And, and listen, um, there are times in your life when you, when you want things to go a certain way, but you just don't have a guarantee of that. Are you following what I'm saying? I mean, you have in your mind how circumstances ought to go, how things ought to work out financially, even when there's more month than money. When you got in your mind how things ought to go, you've got in your mind how things ought to go in, a, in your family's health crisis and health situation. I, and you want them to go that way. And I, listen, I think it's right even to pray that way. But what if it doesn't go the way that you want it to? Can you still trust him then? Are you listening to me here tonight? Can you still trust him then? Can you still trust him even when that family situation is, is still just like it always, it has been for a long time? Can you still trust him? Yes, you can. You can. And Paul says, here's, here's my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I, I have no reason to be embarrassed. I'm not going to be disgraced. Um, I, I'm not going to be in any way disappointed why? But that with all boldness, outspokenness, um, without any fear, he says, with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be what? Magnified. Christ shall be magnified. And the word magnified means just like what we understand it to be, like a magnifying glass. You, it makes things larger, okay? Uh, makes things more clear, that it, it, it makes it bigger, <laughs> magnifies it, all right? That Christ may be magnified. Now, now, wait a minute. How can Christ be magnified? He's already great. Okay, you, you, can't, you can't magnify one who is the greatest. And you don't understand what I'm saying. I mean, really, you, you, you can't make him any greater than he already is. But here's Paul's focus. My focus is on magnifying him. In other words, I want to allow my life situation to bring him into better focus for those that are about me. That's it. I want my life situation, I, I want to be submitted to the Lord. I want my focus to be right. That whether, let's read the rest of the verse here as, as you see it. Whether it be by life or by death. 
Whether it's, if I get to keep on living, here's my focus. I want to magnify him. I want to make him large. I want to make him known. There it is. I want to make him known. I, if I had the privilege and the opportunity on God's earth to keep breathing air into my nostrils, then here's how I want my life to be used. I want my life to make much of him. I want others to know him through my life. And, and really, that's what Vacation Bible School is about. I, as I've watched, as, as uh, I've watched teachers and bus workers uh, and, other, and, and Vacation Bible School workers working with kids, we're trying to bring Christ into focus for those kids. When uh, Warren Wiersbe used the example of a telescope, when you look through a telescope and, and you're looking at the distant planets, um, which Pluto is a planet, Anyways, um, or uh, you're looking at other uh, galaxies or stars or, and, and by the way, I mean, you, you think about how massive our sun is and yet others like our sun that make our sun dwarf, but it doesn't look like it when you look at it in the sky. It's just a little bitty dot. Well, that telescope, and especially as you get into some major telescopes, as you're looking there, it doesn't make that star any bigger. Here's what it does. It brings, her into, it, brings it into closer focus, right? So as we take the Word of God and we sit down with some kids in vacation Bible school and we're saying, look, Seth, look how great God is. And, and they begin to look and see how great He is. Here's what we're doing. We're bringing Him into focus for them. And that's what our whole life is supposed to be about, whether by life. And Paul says this, even if I die, even if this leads to my execution, here's, here's my earnest expectation. Here's my hope. Here's why I'm not ashamed. Here's what I'm living for. I just want Jesus to be magnified. And that ought to be all of our focus. I just want my life, I, I want my relationship relationships within my family, my work, the type of work that I do. I want it all to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and even if this results in my passing from this earth, then may the way that I go out of here bring honor and glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Why? Verse 21. Perhaps in one verse, the verse that, can ca that captures the essence of Paul's heart, look at what he says. For to me, to live is Christ, to die, gain. In fact, you can actually say it this way. It's in short form. You notice that the verb is is in italics, indicating that really it's just the infinitive, then the next noun. To live, Christ, to die, gain. To live, Christ. What are you living for? Christ. To live, Christ. To die, gain. And how can you say to die is gain? Well, to die means I get to be with him. I gain his presence. And so Paul here is, is saying with great assurance that he wanted to magnify Christ because his whole life was focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. His whole life was focused on Christ. When you think about Paul, probably you almost immediately think about Christ. If I say the name Apostle Paul, do you think Christ? 
In some way, you may think missionary, you may think gospel. Um, but really what you're getting down to is he preached Christ. That's how he's known. When somebody says your name, what do they think about? Is that a good question? When you hear different names, you associate those names. Jack Nicholas, probably you just thought golf, if you have a certain generation. Michael Jordan, same, well, you thought, he didn't think golf. He tried, tries, but you probably thought basketball, right? It's just what he's associated with, okay? When people mention your name, what do they think? What is your life all about? Fill in the blank. You ready? For to me to live is, for to me to live is, you know, we typically tend to magnify whatever our focus is. Run that by you one more time. We tend to typically magnify whatever our focus is. Now I'm going to mention some things here. Um, and uh, I don't, I, I mean, you, I don't think God is against us having things, but they shouldn't be what our life is all about. You follow me? Because we'll tend to magnify, make big, make bold, whatever our life is about. Driving around, driving the church bus this week, I've seen some trucks, <laughs> really big trucks. You follow what I'm saying? Big old wheels. Now, I don't, I, if you got a truck and it's a big truck, awesome. That's great. But is that what your life's all about? But you can tell some, some of these trucks that are out there, that's what their whole life is about. For to me to live is my truck. And to die is what? Loss. You're not going to take that truck with you. For to me to live is money. To die is loss. For to me to live is food. <laughs> now, I like food and I know God wants us to enjoy food. A few years ago, we went to uh, Philadelphia and there's the Reading Terminal there that was once, you know, uh, a place as far as, uh, you know, a train depot, and now they've turned it into this food extravaganza. Unreal. It's like food heaven. It's, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, I mean, you're, if you're a foodie, then you, you would really love the place. But your whole life can't be about food, right? Or you'll die. <laughs> right? And you'll gain, but you'll... Anyways, all right, sorry. Bad joke. <laughs> For me to live is work. Boy, your work takes a lot of time, doesn't it? But is that what your whole life is about? Your work? What about going to work tomorrow with Christ as your focus? I'm telling you, that'll change your whole outlook on work. Here's a subtle one. For me to, for to me to live is church. Well, church is a good thing, right? Church is a wonderful place to go and part to be a, a family to be a part of. 
But our focus ought not to be on church as much as it ought to be on Christ. For to me to live is Christ. I notice that Paul did not say, for to me to live is preaching. Or for to me to live is ministry. No, he said, for me to live is Christ. Now, because it was for to me to live is Christ, then he preached, he ministered, he assembled, he did all those things, but his focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ. For to me to live is sports. Basketball is life. Baseball is life. Football is life. My soul, that's our, that's our society, isn't it? For to me to live is my pet. <laughs> oh, mercy. I can't get started there. I'm not against pets. I love dogs. <laughs> I'm not saying any more than that. I'm just saying I love dogs and, and horses and such. But man, I, you make your whole life about your dog. For to me to live is good grades. Some say I gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> for to me to live is the next promotion. You know, some live their whole life for that next promotion. Hey, by the way, thank God for the promotion. But may it come because you've focused on Christ and he's developing his character in you. Are you following me? For to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is retirement. Well, thank God for retirement, but your whole life ought not to be about someday I get to retire because after that, then what? For to me to live is shopping or for to me to live is hunting or for to me to live is comfort. For to me to live right now is AC, <laughs> right? For to me to live is control or for to me to live is the latest technology, the latest phone, the latest uh, friend, the latest boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, the, the latest gadget, the latest this, the latest that. No, uh, how about this? For to me to live is for everything to be going my way. Oh, mercy. Well, we'll be driven by our circumstances at that point, right? But if we get our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, circumstances don't matter. You tend to magnify what your focus is. So Paul said, my desire is this. I want to magnify him because he is my focus. And I pray that God would help us um, to magnify Christ, to bring him into great focus right here because we're focusing in on him. Well, how do you do that? Well, develop a relationship with him. Maybe you're newly saved or maybe you've been saved a long time. Hey, listen, if, you, if you're wondering, where should I even start reading in my Bible? Just start reading in the Gospels. As you read about your, the, your Savior, if you're not saved here tonight, then we would like the opportunity to show you how to be saved and help you to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Christian life is not a religion and religious things that you do. No, not at all. It's actually a relationship that you cultivate day by day. And so I want to encourage all, all of you as believers here tonight to, to get into the Gospels and other parts of the Word of God that, that will help you get to know Christ and so He would be your focus. 
and maybe even to pray and say, God, would you help me? I want to get my focus on Christ and, and really get to know him and to love him and thus to sing to him and to sing about him and, and, and uh, uh, read biographies even of those whose focus was in Christ. I mean, that's a big help to me personally as I would read maybe some missionary biographies that you can just tell that this individual's life, their whole life was about the Lord Jesus Christ and serving him. That'll be a great encouragement to you. We stopped by uh, after our time of uh, being at Sagmont this past week. I've always wanted to go to the George, Car sorry, George Washington Carver um, Museum and, and the, uh, the location there. Uh, and it was fantastic. And I learned this every morning at four o'clock, George Washington Carver went on a walk with God to pray and to talk with him. And he got criticized. And uh, of course, um, I'm grateful to the gentleman because of the uh, you know, discoveries about peanuts and peanut butter and so forth. I mean, that changed revolutionary, revolutionized our lives. Don't you know? I mean, just, just that alone. But he got criticized as his day and time because, you know, he gave such an emphasis to God showed me this or God taught me or I observed in his creation, the creator. And he emphasized that he got criticized because of that. But he knew who created all this. He got to know his creator. He got to know his redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then once you have your relationship with him growing, then, then make your life about making him known to others. Life of your kids and your grandkids. Some of you have your grandkids here this week for vacation Bible school. That's wonderful. Get some extra time with your kids and grandkids and then send them home, right? <laughs> Get some time with them that way, but show them Christ. <laughs> In the life of your friends, Um, my eyes have been opened again to the need of the bus ministry. Just driving bus and being a part this week in bus 11 and seeing the other kids coming in. Somebody who knows Jesus needs to sit down and just have some one-on-one -on -one time with them. And they're open to it. They need it. Witnessing to others at work. What is your central focus in life? How many of you would, you don't have to raise your hand right here, but just in your heart and mind would say, you know, it's really easy to get my focus off of the Lord Jesus Christ, even, even while trying to serve him. So I'm thankful that God had this passage here because I, I know that there's some that are going through a life circumstance right now and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And it, and it can be just very overwhelming. Here's what we ought to do and what you ought to do. Get your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that, I know that sounds trite perhaps. I know it can sound cliche-ish. I know it can sound preachy. But it's biblical. Paul said... It doesn't really matter what's happened to me. It doesn't really matter what's going on right now in my present circumstances. And I'm not really concerned about how things are going to go as I stand before Nero. Because my focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ and he doesn't change. And I know that even if the worst case scenario happened to me and I died, I'd immediately be in his presence. I have no reason to fear. So, Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for the focus of this man named Paul who 
Lord is such an example to us. We know that he too struggled. He himself indicated as much that he struggled with the flesh and had things that he wanted to do, but he didn't do because of the flesh and other things that he didn't want to do. And he did Lord. He was a real man, just like we are. But I, I thank you so much for the example that we have here of this man whose whole life was very obviously about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's inspirational to us and it provides instruction that we need to make sure that our life too is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray tonight that you'd help us in this time of invitation in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand together here tonight. If your focus has been off and, and um, perhaps it's just the busyness of life or the concerns of life, uh, that uh, have crowded in and uh, taken your focus off of him, then let's take the opportunity tonight as we have that uh, to uh, get our focus back on him. I think we're singing page 275 just as I am. And so if God has spoke to your heart, come and join these that have come. And let's just take some time to focus on our Lord and Savior here.